TBA 21 Academy Radio in collaboration with Mahazip Radio. Aridity Lines Episode 2 Blood in the Water Interspecies Alliances in the Mediterranean Sea You're listening to Aridity Lines, a podcast series invoking the local ecological knowledges that delicately tread the porous borders between land and water bodies around the Mediterranean Sea. And here is your host, Reem Shadid. In the second episode of Aridity Lines, my guest is Ella Tanir, who is an architect, researcher, and curator from Beirut, Lebanon. Most recently, in 2021, she was associate curator of the Venice Architecture Biennale with Hisham Sarkis. In 2019, she co-organized the 22nd Triennale di Milano, titled Broken Nature, an exhibition that looks at design's potential for repairing human broken bond with the environment. Here, we focus on her work and research concerned with exploring the Mediterranean Sea as a space of resistance and possible interspecies alliances. Often, when we speak of the sea, we limit our understanding of it to what it offers us as humans. What the common discourse fails to consider is the sea as a body of water in its own living and breathing entities of micronutrients and biomarine life, reacting differently to harmful human actions. For instance, as Ella explains, due to an excess of nutrients in the waters from agricultural fertilizer and urban effluent, in the Mediterranean Sea, there are now frequent algal booms on the sea surface. With a population of phytoplankton overgrowing with time, moisture, warmth, and sunlight. This phenomenon results in red tides and low concentration of oxygen, creating the so-called dead zones. While most species are unable to survive in these areas, jellyfish proliferate and thrive because they need little oxygen to breathe. The food chain changes in their favor. In more recent years, there have been several causes for serious concern when it comes to climate change and its markers around the Mediterranean Sea. Phenomena such as the redseaization, which is the arrival or invasion as it's often described, of hundreds of new species coming from the Red Sea that find a suitable habitat in the warming Mediterranean waters, results in drastic changes in marine life and food security. At the same time, the accelerated scarcity of water in regions across the Mediterranean shores results in severe strain on natural and managed terrestrial ecosystems and intensifies human movement, displacement, and migration in order to find livable conditions. So what happens when we try to adopt new speculative perspectives, allowing us to look at and narrate the ecological and geopolitical together? In today's episode, we discuss why connecting undefeated water species like jellyfish with more vulnerable human beings moving or being denied the possibility to move above water could help us understand how these two crises are not separated, but in fact driven by the same extractive forces. Hello, Allah. It's nice to host you on Urgency Lines today. Thank you for accepting this invitation. Thanks so much, Jim. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about our conversation. Um, I was hoping we can speak about your practice and interest in the Mediterranean Sea. Um, you've co-curated several biennials. You've researched and published around our relationship to the environment and other living beings. 
Um, so this pro this project that we're that we're focusing on today wasn't isn't in isolation. So can you tell us about your interest, your approach, um, maybe some of the connections between these um, these different uh, projects? Mm -hmm. uh, of course. So I was trained as an architect uh, in 2013 and a designer in 2017, and since then I've taken up a curatorial practice in architecture and design. And so I kind of look at the Mediterranean, you know, and my research in general um, from this kind of spatial investigation lens. Um, I, in 2019, have co-curated with Paola Antonelli uh, Broken Nature, uh, which was the 22nd Triennale di Milano, which in fact uh, also looked at... Um, at the relationship, at the broken relationship, let's say, or that we have with the environment. Um, and the environment we understood as both, you know, uh, the kind of ecological environment, natural environment, but also the social one. Um, and we sort of looked at examples of design um, that uh, kind of produced a, uh, or proposed uh, some kind of restoration, you know, we looked at the concept of restorative design um, that uh, wanted to basically attempt to repair our broken bonds with, uh, with the environment. So most recently, I worked on uh, the, as part of the curatorial team for the Venice Architecture Biennale, which was curated by Hashim Serkis and was entitled, How Will We Live Together? Um, where we attempted to answer this question at five different scales. Um, and so not only how will we live together, you know, among each other, but also with other kind of, um, with other species, uh, with other living beings. Um, and um, I'm currently, in fact, uh, you know, just to tie it back to your question about the Mediterranean, I'm currently working on... Um, setting up a research space about the Mediterranean in a restored uh, 1930s building in Beirut, uh, which is immediately on the coast. Um, and um, the space will kind of uh, focus on um, uh, specifically the Eastern geography of the Mediterranean. Um, so I've kind of had this fascination with the Mediterranean for a very, very long time. Um, and the project that uh, we are discussing today at length is uh, called uh, Blood in the Water, tracing an interspecies alliance between at-risk humans and jellyfish in the, in the Mediterranean. Um, and that was a project that I, in fact, uh, started as uh, my master's thesis at the Rhode Island School of Design in 2017, um, where I basically developed uh, within my program. I developed uh, research on the ecology and the kind of uh, social political um, events that were taking place in the Mediterranean Sea. Thank you. I think it's also, I mean, for me, what's really nice also about your work is that it, it um, the manifestations of this research um, that I generally do think is lacking, and especially from our region. So I think this the the, the news um, uh, about the center that you're working on 
it's really amazing and exciting. But I think for me, what's really exciting is that you kind of, the manifestations of this research are kind of are in many ways. So it's visual, you know, maybe through exhibitions, mm -hmm. you also work on mm -hmm. books. And, and, and this is something that I really, yeah, that I feel kind of gives a, a gives maybe a better understanding of what we're talking about because of the different mediums. Right. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out, actually, uh, Rim, because, yeah, absolutely, I think it's um, very important. And sorry to cut you up, but uh, I think, yeah, it's, it's very important for me to highlight the kind of different media um, uh, that I uh, approach research with or, like, one topic with, because I do think that my both my design practice, my visual practice, and my um, writing and exhibition practice are all kind of, um, are all one, you know, I don't, um, I, I cannot separate uh, curatorial work from my design work or from my writing um, either. So thank you for, for pointing this out. As you just mentioned, in 2017, uh, with your research project Blood in the Water, tracing an interspecies alliance between atrisk humans and jellyfish in the Mediterranean, you were seeking, as you put it, um, a space of simultaneous ecological and political resistance to human-induced violence. You looked at the paradoxes of its division by maritime borders in relation to national interest, and that intersection with the slow violence of marine life, particularly jellyfish. Here I'm, of course, uh, thinking of the notion of aridity that Barbara Kasavica and I work on for this podcast, how it extends to the sea, be it in the depletion of oxygen and nutrients, but also the relation to life and death at sea. So I was wondering if you can talk to us in more details about your research. To examine the Mediterranean Sea as a space of political and ecological resistance by exposing the thread of violence that ties human displacement together with ecological degradation. So in other words, the project proposes the possibility of an imagined, you know, interspecies alliance between human migrants that are and have been historically purposely abandoned at sea and jellyfish. So uh, originally the research stemmed from looking at two phenomena that are taking place concurrently in that uh, in that space. Uh, one, which is the intensifying wave of migrants taking to sea in search for better life conditions on European shores, uh, especially in light of the um, geopolitical changes that swept across North Africa and the Eastern Mediterranean after 2010-2011. And then the second phenomenon is the overpopulation of jellyfish and their extended periods of blooming, uh, which is a phenomenon that is occurring all over the world, including the Mediterranean Sea. Um, so basically, I read somewhere a few years ago, at, you know, that's how it started, um, that basically everything bad that we do for the ocean is good for jellyfish um, and allows them to proliferate because they're very um, sort of uh, resilient species. Um, so they can survive with very... Um, kind of, uh, you know, minimal uh, living conditions like low oxygen, etc. So what I really wanted to do uh, with this project is to provide a reading of the space of the sea, which exposes the interdependencies of the stuff that are the most visible, immediate, uh, you know, occurrences that are often making headlines on the news uh, with this type of uh, slower ecological change, slower ecological violence that is often little known or overlooked purposely or not. 
I never really thought of this project from the lens of aridity, I must say. Um, but I think it could be an interesting anchor, angle, especially if we think of it less perhaps from an understanding of depletion and rather look at it in terms of a almost permanent imbalance or like potentially permanent imbalance in the marine ecosystem. So, for example, you know, in, in the context of this project, a marine environment that favors jellyfish um, sort of, you know, tips the food chain in their favor because, you know, they, they, there's more of them, so they eat more um, and uh, they keep less food for their predators or they eat the larvae of, um, you know, that, that, that would eventually grow up to become their predators, etc. So, you know, um, I think it's a, I think it would be, it's an interesting take. Um, so thank you for, for that question and for giving me the exercise of rethinking of the project in that way. But if I can take one uh, small step back, why did you focus on jellyfish as a marker of the shifting conditions of the Mediterranean? How did that come about? All right. So actually, it's a funny story. It's uh, it wasn't at first. It wasn't intentional at all. Um, somehow, mm. um, at uh, at RISD, my favorite place was uh, something called the Nature Lab, um, where basically, you know, it's kind of like a think about it as like a mini natural history museum but like 10 times better um with also it's also a space where there's kind of um uh living creatures i guess and basically a huge resource on um the natural environment and the the natural ecosystem around the providence area where where is situated is located um and uh, among these uh, elements there's a very fascinating jellyfish aquarium of sorts um and then at one point in fact also very randomly i was uh, watching um i was watching a lecture by mark dion and um at some point he did mention jellyfish and how jellyfish were overpopulating and i found that that was really um fascinating and i was I just basically started looking more into it. But then the more I looked into it, the more I understood how um, important uh, this phenomenon of the jellyfish overpopulation, uh, you know, was. So as random as it might have been, you know, me stumbling upon this, the the phenomenon itself is not random at all. As, and in fact, it's very emblematic of, you know, all the kind of ecological shifts that are taking place in um, in the basin. Um, and so, um, you know, like, every, like I started realizing that in fact, you know, most, most everything that, you know, is changing ecologically or environmentally in the marine, uh, in the marine environment um, can in fact be, uh, let's say, traced through, um, you know, telling the story of jellyfish somehow. So it could be made evident by focusing on jellyfish, you know, by, by actually looking at jellyfish, which is something that I think many of us don't really, our relationship to jellyfish is a very superficial one um, initially, you know, it's fear. more of like, a, exactly, it's based on fear of being stung, of, you know, like all of this, but then we don't really 
first of all understand like we don't really understand um what jellyfish do and uh what their presence among uh us or on our shores even mean right um and so that's kind of where and how like this uh, this desire to kind of shed light on the story uh um or on this yeah um species kind of happened this goes back to probably you know what you've worked on before is that i think that our relationship our relationship to to the sea is a very superficial one mm-hmm. and to and to to basically see creatures or sea beings or mm-hmm. um and so so yeah so i think that this is really um fascinating i would have you know i really it would have never occurred to me i think and many people like you said so thank you no absolutely. i mean not even to me right um it 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 didn't even occur to me it's as i said it was uh, at first yeah. by complete chance kind of um but then we realized that exactly like outside of the scientific community we we don't really know much about um all the water that surrounds us yeah because you know it's it's funny because we i mean it's not funny but because we're kind of conditioned to read things or to read things like climate change or to read um um you know uh even like what's happening around us in general to read it through a complete like through basically non living um mm-hmm. like non living um things right like you never right, i mean right. it's very rare that we like see you know that we look at like like at animals or at plants as again as signifiers right. of something specific that is happening i mean in this case we're talking about climate change and migration mm-hmm. so i think that there's something that's really that's really yeah i i think it really has to do with our relationship to to other living beings and or lack of actually right. and and this is what your research also has has for me at least has brought up right right and i mean the the whole idea was that i completely agree with you our knowledge of climate change especially you know i guess things are starting to change uh right now but i mean i would say like even a few years ago the conversation about climate change was still a very abstract one somehow and so you know we usually track change in a very kind of uh, for example in in broken nature at one point we opened the show with uh, that was um at the Milan Triennial just uh, just in case um I didn't mention that before um but broken nature we opened the the show with uh, you know these images of change from NASA these kind of like earth observation imagery that show uh that clearly show change over time right so with an image from let's say i don't know um 1990 and then another one from today um and while you know it's very easy on the eye to kind of understand or like see the changes between the two images it's very difficult for us as people to make sense of something at that scale and so for me have like for me choosing jellyfish as an entry point to tell a very specific story and choosing migrants on the surface of the sea in the mediterranean to also tell a very specific story was very important to kind of um bring our attention to the links basically um that exist between climate change and uh 
sociopolitical conditions of uh, the region. But I wanted, I mean, there's something that you said about the Jellyfish and, human, and Humans at Risk Alliance um, mm-hmm. just now. And it made me mm-hmm. consider other forms of alliances or intersections uh, between, let's say, these movements. Like, for example, I'm thinking of marine borders here. So I'm wondering, like, mm-hmm. where do these, like, where do all these kind of networks and patterns intersect? Where do they clash with these marine borders? Um, While I was working on this project, at some point I was feeling like I was working on two separate projects um, at once. So looking into the jellyfish, you know reading marine biology texts and scientific papers and then you know looking at the um the issue of migration uh in the Mediterranean on the one hand you know the kind of bordering practices that have been um that have been instituted uh let's say uh to fight off or fend off migrants coming from North Africa and the eastern Mediterranean onto Europe um so reading about its uh, or looking into its history how it started how you know this crisis kind of intensified uh, after the the 90s and the kind of like opening of the internal borders of Europe but then you know at the same time uh, really fortifying uh, the external borders including the maritime borders with the Mediterranean um so so looking at that and looking at you know all of the uh, the the regulations that are put in place to um uh, control or to fend off migrants um overlap with you know what uh, states can do and cannot do to exploit the maritime um the maritime environment um so you know when we talk about uh, dividing the of the sea according to internal waters and territorial waters and then the contiguous zone, the exclusive economic zone, and then the high seas, you know, not only allows these states to, um, you know, create all of these uh, or like in, in, in create this infrastructure um, to exploit the, the to exploit the resources of the sea, um, but it also allows them to um, divide, I guess, divide and evade responsibility, uh, between them and among, among the different states to rescue migrants that are falling, uh, in the water. So a lot of the time, you know, um, these states are using the legal loopholes that exist within, you know, the, um, the bordering practices, uh, or like the definition of borders to, in fact, evade responsibility to, to kind of um, rescue the migrants that are falling. So I came up with this interspecies alliance somehow to be able to find or to be able to come up with a narrative, you know, to um, potential resistance to these forces as well and make more evident the connections, like this precise connection, right, that exists between the, like the, the bordering practices um, and uh, of European states and, you know, the sort of exploitation of the marine environment. Um, um, I don't know if that actually answers your question entirely or not, yes. but I'm happy to take a stab as well <laughs> again if I missed something. No, no, this is, I mean, to be honest, 
it, it absolutely answers the question because, and I think it's really fascinating. It, it, it also led to, to something that I was curious about, curious about. So thank you for, for talking about it because I was wondering how with all of these, you know, like you said, of course, the infrastructure also that is being built and oil and gas cables, all of this. Um, and then you have the, the jellyfish, uh, which are, you know, signify the, the abundance of jellyfish, which are signifiers of a certain thing. You have humans at risk at sea. You have multiple marine borders, like you just explained. Um, um, you have, I mean, you have all of these, yeah, all of these things that come together, and 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 a lot of, and I mean, the baffling thing to me is always that a lot of times people just kind of see, you know, they never see that people never speak about this as a whole economy, as a larger economy and ecosystem, um, mm -hmm. of also thinking what goes from the land to the sea and then to the land again, and what that might carry with it, what, you know, the the the, the effects and the changes and 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 the 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 players, let's say, are are so vast and they're not even necessarily just tied to the tied to the sea. And of course, so really thank you for that. I think that was that was very um yeah, that was like really on point. Um but if but what I was going to say also is that but then you have climate change that actually seriously mm -hmm. affects the Mediterranean basin. I mean it's the you know right. the Mediterranean basin is like one of the most vulnerable um, areas to the temperature rises of of, uh, mm -hmm. of uh, climate change, and and how does I was wondering like within your research if mm -hmm. if you've addressed this or if this has come up of how has that affected all these movements how has that affected the the alliance um, how has that affected um, this kind of interdependency of survival and death that is really at play mm -hmm. and obvious at least for me. Absolutely. So, in fact, climate change, you know, the, the notion of climate change and ecological degradation, as I um, started by saying, play the or plays a central role in this uh, project and in this research. Um, because we also know that, you know, a lot of, on the one hand, a lot of the people that are taking to sea are also escaping uh, not only, you know, uh, dire geopolitical conditions, but also many of these um uh, many of these migrants are in fact uh, migrants that are uh, going from one place to another because of climate change because you know of uh, aridity um because of uh, water shortages because of many other uh, kind of um uh, problems that are in fact caused by climate change um so that's on the one hand on the other hand a lot of uh, also the reasons that are leading to this kind of uh, tipping of the balance um, within the marine ecosystem, the, within the marine environment, is also due to climate change. So when I said, you know, everything bad that we do for the ocean is good for jellyfish, um, I mean, for example, you know, the warming of, uh, of the water um, is actually you know, uh, uh, most favorable to jellyfish because they are one of the few species um, in the basin that can actually uh, uh, sort of um, survive, you know, the higher temperatures in the water. Um, higher temperatures in the water also mean, you know, um, lack of oxygen, you know, or like a, a, a decrease in the levels of oxygen in the water, which a lot of species uh, aren't able to uh, survive. Um, so 
these spaces become toxic for most uh, marine species. Uh, but jellyfish are incredible survivors in that sense. They can adapt to pretty much any environment that they are uh, faced with so or that they find themselves with. So, um, and at the same time, you know, the building of this infrastructure, you know, of the, the tapping of oil and gas in the marine environment and all of this is also obviously a, has a very direct link to, um, to climate change. And at the same time, these substructures that are, you know, founded underwater, um, in fact present, uh, an ideal environment for jellyfish to, um, uh, reproduce. So, for example, a lot of uh, species of different species of jellyfish kind of like um, reproduce in open waters, but then the polyps that are formed need to kind of latch onto uh, structures. So normally, you know, they they latch onto I don't know rocks and other kind of you know hardscapes within the the uh, water within like underwater, um, but the more you know, people build uh, farms and uh, um, uh, like uh, platforms and different kind of facilities uh, underwater, the more area and the more environments are available for jellyfish to kind of, um, to kind of, uh, um, you know, survive or proliferate and thrive. Exactly. Thank you. Um, And so in that sense, you know, it's very difficult to to read any of these events as, you know, uh, being kind of exceptional events, right? They're all sort of interconnected and it's impossible for us to read any of these um, occurrences separately anymore, you know, if we are to understand what's going on. Climate change is, in fact, for me, I think, within this project, uh, almost like a, one of the umbrellas that serve to tie and to provide a... a not only a backdrop, but a context for this interspecies alliance to take place. And the alliance is meant to be, right, an alliance is called an alliance in this context. It's an alliance of resistance, right? So it's uh, Mm. trying to find a way to not only, you know, for me, fighting this kind of um, violence, I guess, um, that is induced both on humans and on nature uh, starts by providing a kind of comprehensive reading. And I think this is where what I attempted to do most with this project, um, to provide a holistic reading of the space of the sea in that sense and the effects of climate change on, on that space. So can we see these intersections as another way of mapping? So can this... Like, can at this day and age we be guided by more than human species to other types of relationships to the to 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 our environment, and can can they be seen as a serious way in a serious way as signifiers of climate change and other changes? As a matter of fact, I feel like perhaps outside of the art and architecture community, um, mapping of different species and the changes that are occurring, uh, you know, within different ecosystems is already happening. Like you mentioned the scientific community. And, and I think, you know, when I was doing my research on jellyfish, I mean, I relied very heavily on 
um, the findings of the research community, of the, sorry, the scientific community, right? Um, so I think it's less a matter of, you know, will this mapping kind of happen? Because it, I feel like it already is. I feel the question is more maybe will or how fast can the architecture and design and arts communities kind of uh, catch up, you know, because, you know, the, the, the other people are doing um, research in that way, but I feel like we are uniquely positioned to um, mediate those stories. And so I feel like it would be important to have more of these stories, which, which I'm like, I know, I know that there are, uh, you know, uh, p other people doing this. Like I know that the, even outside of the Mediterranean, right? Uh, people like cooking sections, for example. I was looking at the project um, with um, with the changing colors of uh, salmon, salmon as mm. a as a you know um, marker of climate change, and you know how fisheries are in fact dying salmon pink. Um, which I find fascinating. And so I feel like, and, and telling people a story like this, right, is much more graspable than showcasing um, tables with numbers and, and all of that. And so I feel that's why I feel like the mapping that needs to happen is one that we have the tools for. Um, and by we, is a big we, right? It's the artists, designers, um, storytellers, writers, uh, architects, all of that. And so that's the kind of mapping that I feel um, would need to happen um, going forward in order to, you know, bring attention to more and more of these kinds of, uh, uh, how do you say, like more situated events, I would mm. say. I mean, it's also, you know, the thing with this, of course, is that it's, it's um, if you speak to any uh, any kind of older person, probably, maybe yeah, at this stage, probably not even one generation up, their relationship, I'm not going to say in touch, but their relationship, again, to earth and, and water and, and, and generally these elements is completely different. So like, mm -hmm. I, you know, as we're, as we're realizing more and more that we have to kind of depend on, um, on, again on like signifiers of living beings whether they're trees or plants or 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 um, or fish or jellyfish um but it's funny because our like kind of our elders or our ancestors have, like did that for many many years so, and of course you know there there was this gap of this knowledge was kind of never passed down, down to us because life changed you know so you're right in the sense that like it, it you know it's Maybe the the art and and architecture and design community is uh, maybe who needs to catch up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I ancestral knowledge is definitely you know um, uh, valuable uh, when assessing uh, you know what to do about uh, our degrading uh, ecological. Uh, um, condition, but uh, but I, I feel like yeah. I mean, I guess maybe maybe you know to tie what I was trying to say also like further with with your comment. Um, I would say that for me at least, you know, um, telling these uh, telling these kind of like situated narratives 
becomes somehow like kind of like those stories, you know, that we hear that are being passed down from older generations, right? So, so for me, it's like we, you know, a way of of mapping those stories becomes a kind of a way of again passing um, passing down yeah. stories of our time somehow. Absolutely. Um, you, I mean, you also write about how you resorted um, to the imaginary. Mm-hmm. as a solution or not I mean not as a solution but a way maybe to deal or process or like you just said now to to kind of um, give like a more holistic understanding of what's at play and all these interdependencies um, but I was wondering if if you can say if you can yeah if you can if you can say what has this kind of like making this imaginary mm-hmm. alliances what can that open up to what can right. yeah Right. So basically, um, the the let's say the most urgent, I guess, question that I was uh, trying to tackle uh, in um, in this project and through this uh, through this alliance is how to sort of um, expand our imaginary in reading the space of the sea, right? And in and, and kind of understanding these questions. So if we look at the Mediterranean Sea as a space, um, it is on the, on kind of like on the one hand, it's the space that, you know, separates or connects, in fact, um, you know, European states and uh, their kind of extractive impulses um, to uh, their, to the resources of their "Quote unquote former colonies, um, and to uh, you know the, the the resources that the, the marine resources that are uh, present at sea, on the one hand, and on the other hand, it acts the space of the sea also acts as a bridge, right, for this intensifying uh, migration crisis, um, which these European states have uh, largely sort of um, dealt with by instituting an entire apparatus of surveillance and of, uh, uh, you know, a legal apparatus as well that is meant to kind of like fight, um, fight these waves of uh, humans that are, that are um, moving uh, across the sea onto Europe. Um, and so in a way, the kind of like current mode of visual and knowledge production you know, surrounding these issues is, uh, can be understood in what Henri Lefebvre would have called a space of state control. Um, and so it is as much a vehicle for states to kind of dominate the territories and the resources, as well as a mechanism for them to extend control over the collective social imaginary, um, that we, you know, that, 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 that is, um, somehow prescribed, uh, you know, onto, onto the, the space. And so what I kind of wanted to do with this speculative uh, narrative of an interspecies alliance between, you know, the most vulnerable uh, groups of people and, uh, you know, this kind of um, almost uh, undefeated <laughs> species uh, in the water is to be able to kind of just, you know, create a new, or maybe not a new, but create a, you know, a different way or a different uh, 
uh, representation, a different narrative, a different, uh, you know, both visual and written kind of uh, storytelling um, uh, um, potential or like uh, storytelling possibilities, outputs, um, to expand, in order to expand uh, the the way that we understand, you know, each of these crises, um, precisely not to understand them as two separate crises, precisely to understand them as kind of like one element. It's, you know, the same forces that are uh, dispossessing people and leaving them to die at sea are exactly the same forces that are, in fact, you know, leading to the overexploitation of the marine environment and causing this entire chain of, uh, you know, natural events, uh, natural quote-unquote, right, um, events that are occurring in nature, more likely, um, that are uh, sort of um, leading or that are part of climate change. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Ella. This is this has really been been um, very. I don't want to. I mean, it's not that it's 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 not that it's just rich and informative. It's also, yeah, I think it's incredibly important to understand the necessity and the, and almost the urgency of seeing of approaching it the way that you have in this kind of holistic manner and that this isolation of these events of climate change is a separate thing than, than, um, um, than yeah, than government um, policies about uh, mm-hmm. around the Mediterranean Sea is, and all, and building infrastructures in the sea and like all of this, I think, and, and of course the migration uh, uh, disaster. Like I think that this is, that seeing them in isolation is, is not, um, will not, yeah, will not lead us um, anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and to and yeah, and for and thanks for also um, sharing uh, sharing with us your research. Um, yeah, it's been really great. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was uh, this was very nice to chat with you and to kind of be able to look at the project, as I said at the, at the beginning, from a different perspective. Eredity Lines is commissioned by TBA21 Academy and co-produced with Raja Maazov. It was conceived by Rim Shadid and Barbara Kasavekia as part of the current three Mediterraneans, thus wave common pairs after Atel Adnan. Edited and hosted by Rim Shadid. Introduction and credits voiceover, Jinan Shaya. Sound editor, Mosh Air. Produced by Maria Montero Sierra. Hear more episodes at ocean-archive.org or subscribe with your podcast provider.